You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Jim from Route to Retire, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Jay Helms from W2 Capitalist, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Nisha Mehta of Physician Side Gigs, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Jay from Fire Drill Podcast and Millennial Boss. You're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. Hey, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, we have a conversation today that is near and dear to my heart. And the question is, is passive income really passive? We have four guest panelists on here that are going to pull on that conversation, tease it out and figure out if it's really passive or not. I'll have each of them have a chance to go around and give a quick introduction. Uh, Jim, do you mind going first, please? Hey, everyone. I'm Jim. And I just left my job at the end of 2018 after reaching fire. My family and I are moving to the country of Panama later this summer for our next adventure. I blog about our journey and different financial strategies we're learning along the way at the Route to Retire blog. So you are living the life exactly as I want to do it. You're, you're just a few years ahead of me, so I'll, I'll have to make sure and take notes. Uh, we'll let Jay Helms give us the next introduction, please. Go ahead, sir. Thank you, Paul. Doc, thanks for having me. Um, so Jay Helms from W2 Capitalist, and uh, we focus on bridging the gap between wage and wealth. Um, one of our mantras that we carry is earn, invest, repeat. One of the misnomers in investing in real estate is that you have to go the fire route. You have to fire follow Jim is awesome, but there are a lot of folks like myself actually enjoy what I do for the most part, and you can continue to invest and also work a full-time job. Right. So that's what we're focused on at W2Capitalist.com. Thank you so much for coming on here. Looking forward to hearing more. Nisha, can you give us a quick introduction, please? So I'm Nisha Mehta, MD. I um, am a physician. I'm a writer and a speaker. I do a lot with the fields of physician empowerment and talking about issues in the current healthcare landscape. But I think why I've really been invited to be here is because of my role as the founder of a Facebook group called Physician Side Gigs. Um, which consists of over 30,000 physicians who are looking to become more business and financially savvy and create alternative income streams and ways to look at their lives outside of medicine. And passive income is certainly something that is discussed with a lot of frequency in this forum. Wonderful. Thanks for coming on. Jay, you're next. Can you give us a quick introduction, please? I co-host the Fire Drill podcast with Gwen of Fiery Millennials, and our podcast focuses on side hustles, savings, and creativity as the path to financial independence. I also have a blog, Millennial Boss, which is specifically my story as a millennial paying off student loan debt and then on the path to FI. So Nisha, I'm going to start with you, and we're going to run through the whole panel on this question. For all of us sitting here today for this panel, there was a point where we were doing our W-2 job. And something triggered us to look outside of the traditional nine to five and start doing other things on the side. Can you tell me what was that moment where you realized that being a physician showing up to the office every day was not going to be the full extent of your professional uh, responsibilities? So for me, it didn't really start out as an intentional journey. I actually had about six months of time free because of a job related change where my husband took a job at the last minute and I had some time before I had, you know, I got, I found 
the job that I wanted to take and got credentialed and started. And so I had about six months and I've always liked to write. And I just started writing about some of the things that I saw as challenges in today's healthcare landscape, not really thinking that it was going to go anywhere, but I think more just an outlet for myself. And I think out of that, at some point, I created this small little Facebook group where I just wanted to talk to other physicians who were doing the same thing that I was and learn about things related to getting the word out about my writing and helping each other and supporting each other with social media. And that was really just how it started. And from there, it started growing into something bigger. And now we're at above 31,000 physicians. And I think we have really gotten, for me, that's evolved and changed the way that I approach my career. And in the context of all of that, I started writing and I started, or I started speaking and being asked to speak. And I really started seeing the potential in being able to diversify my income streams. And I think that's just kind of driven a lot of the growth in that direction is just this idea that I can be more than just a physician, which in and of itself, I think is an amazing thing. So I don't think that anybody needs to be more than that. But for myself, it's opened up a lot of possibilities. And as somebody who's married to another physician, it's nice to be able to not put all of our eggs in in one basket. And I think that's been the driving factor. So Jay Helms, I want to throw kind of a similar question at you. You know, why real estate? Why did you decide to jump out of just doing your W-2 work and add real estate into the mix? Uh, it's kind of like a triad or a tripod of, of, of events that happen. Uh, number one, the company that I had spent, uh, the startup company that I spent a decade uh, helping build was acquired. And what was happening with that acquisition was not by anybody's stretch of the imagination, a uh, positive venture for the employees or for our clients. Number two, kid number one was on the way. And I'd always had these these big financial goals and I'd focused on, focused on trying to attain those in just a W-2 job. And that was not going to happen. I finally came to the realization that, and it's nothing against the company I work for or the, the industry I'm in. It's just what I get paid is what I get paid. And, and, and I'm pretty much at the top of the, the Uh, scale for that. So I knew if I wanted to go outside of that, we had to look somewhere else, right? And real estate had always been something that we were interested in. I say my wife and I is the we. And, you know, we looked into the, you know, we got hooked on the HGTV shows, the sexy flipping and, and, you know, and, and just believe what's not, what happens on TV is not a reality, right? So we eventually landed, ended up on a buy and hold strategy. And by doing so in the last four years, uh, we've increased our annual income by uh, 60% and our net worth has 10 X in that last four years. So after our first one, uh, after our first deal that we purchased and we started seeing that positive cash flow, you know, and truly a passive income, all right, we got to figure out how to rinse and repeat, you know? Uh, and, and I will say too, about two months, three months before our first, first son was born, I was given the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I think everything that we were going through with a company being acquired, first kid coming, you know, coming into this world and how that changes your whole mindset. That book was extremely instrumental at that time in my life to say, look, you, you have a good thing with what you're doing with your W-2, but if you want to go to the next level, you got to look at things a lot differently. Jim, I'm wondering if it was rich dad, poor dad for you too, because I've seen you reference it before. Um, was it income generation? Was it diversification? What made you look outside of your W-2? Well, just like Jay Helms was saying, yeah, rich dad, poor dad was the eye opener for me. I have mentioned that a few times because it, it is, it's just a different mindset that you, you can just go to work every day and continue the same old thing. But if you really want to set yourself up for security, then it's time to look at things differently and look at things like passive income or other side hustles or, or different things like that. So that's kind of, that's kind of what got me going. Jay, you've called yourself a dabbler in your blog. Is that what made you look outside of your main gig? Yes. I didn't have a specific money goal. Side hustles are fun for me. It's almost like a game. How can I optimize? How can I build something? How can I make money from nowhere? So for me, it's an intrinsic personality trait that's driving me, not a specific savings goal. We say side hustles, we say side gigs, and then we also say passive income. And I've definitely been guilty of using those interchangeably. Are they the same thing? They are definitely not the same thing in my opinion. And that's just an opinion on my part, but I I really try hard not to confuse the two because I think that there is this illusion out there that there's free money that's just sitting there waiting for people to take. And, And I will tell you that with 
the number of people that we have on our platform. I get an email or two emails every day or a message every day asking me, what can I do for passive income? And I struggle a little bit with that because, but a lot of people think that there are these magical sources of income where you just decide to put money somewhere and then it's going to grow for you. And yeah, there are some of those things and some things are more passive than others, right? So yes, real estate is relatively passive once you learn what you're doing, but you still have to put that time into learning what you're doing so that you can identify what a good investment is. Same thing as if you're just, your passive income is money that's being generated off of money that you already have and you're just investing wisely. You still have to put that effort into investing, learning how to invest, and then knowing how to maintain that portfolio. So I always tell people the only way to really have passive income in my mind is if you happen to be born into a really wealthy family that has a product or a trust fund that's continuing to generate money for you and somebody else is managing it and just writing you checks. But otherwise, you're going to have to put some effort into developing those things. And when you look at passive income and you look at, you know, now people will tell me, they'll look at my speaking fees or they'll look at some of my influencer fees and they'll say, wow, you get a lot of money for doing very little. And I have to remind them. And I think for me, it's very sort of reminiscent of my job as a radiologist where people are like, you get paid how much for reading an MRI that takes you five minutes to read? And I say, well, it's not the five minutes, right? It's over a decade of training that I've put into being able to read that MRI for five minutes that I'm getting paid for. And similarly, now when I charge my influencer marketing fees or my speaking fees, that's reflecting experience and expertise and a lot of time curating an audience and all of those things. So it's not passive. Um, but yes, yeah, some money comes easier than others. I'll tell you now that my you know, alternative income streams come in a lot easier than my job as a doctor. And that's, you know, that's great. That's a good that's a good position to be in, but I don't consider it passive income because I know how much effort has gone into creating it. Jay Helms, I'd like you to bounce off that, what Nisha was saying. A lot of people look at real estate as passive. Do you feel it's passive in your experience? Well, I think Nisha made one, one excellent point there that is that there is a ramp up time regardless of what you do, right, for your side hustle. And, and maybe the other Jay can, since she has multiple, she can talk to about that. But in my experience, yes, real estate is very passive. It, and I just released a blog post where we made $231 an hour on our real estate investments last year. By that, I mean, we spent about an hour a week with our property managers and that was it. And to me, that's extremely passive considering the other 40, 50 hours of work a week that I do, right? Yeah, Jim, I'm wondering your opinion on property managers. I know you've used them in the past. Is that right? Does that turn maybe what we would have called an active income source into a passive income source? I guess to a point, I, I kind of disagree a little bit on the uh, real estate being passive income. I mean, because it still does require some effort. Whereas like when I think of passive income, I, I think of like a dividend stream or something like that where you're just sitting back and doing nothing and letting the, uh, letting the money flow in. Um, but that said, yes, a property manager definitely brings things down a step. I, I think, uh, so right now we're down to just one duplex, but I do use a property management company for it. And yeah, I mean, the, the amount of effort I put into it is pretty slim now. I'd say maybe, maybe a few hours a month, but that's, that's about it. Uh, you got to, unfortunately you have to manage the property manager in, in most cases. Uh, there's good, we'll say good property managers out there, but there's, there's not, I haven't found an excellent one out there uh, as of yet. So Jay, we can argue about how much active time it takes to manage real estate, uh, but blogging is a whole different spectrum. Uh, do you consider blogging to be passive income? I don't think enough bloggers are willing to hire people to do the work for them. Once I started making a certain amount of money, I felt more comfortable bringing on virtual assistants and scaling my time. And that has been the biggest game changer in the whole passive income discussion. If you do not have to be the one physically doing the work, if you don't, in Nisha's example, she is the expert on MRIs. I don't need to be the expert on Pinterest. I don't have to be the expert on writing content. I can go out and find someone and pay them $15 to complete that task for me. So scaling through other people has been the biggest game changer for me in the past year. Nisha, I'm wondering what you think about that. Do you think hiring out is a way of turning active income sources into passive ones? I, I mean, I agree that it definitely turns them 
into more passive income streams. I guess when I think of passive, passive income, and what I worry about when people talk about passive income is really the feeling that there is no effort, right? And to the point that was made earlier in terms of as long as you're managing somebody, there is always some level of management. So yes, it becomes less, a lot of these things become less active over time because you learn to be able to scale, you learn to be able to outsource, you learn, you feel more confident having you know, in your income streams to be able to allot those resources to the things that you can do to make them easy and buy back some of your time. And I think that that is really powerful. And I think that's certainly everybody's goal to get to the point where they're not doing a lot of those things. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's always an effort. And it's not just that you create something, right, but you have to be able to maintain it. So a lot of people say to me, well, now you've created this thing and now you get all of these affiliate fees and you get all these influencer fees and this and that. But my point to that is also there's still maintenance that is required to be to keep a community engaged or to keep people listening to what you have to say. And so you can't just ever sit back and say, well, this is who I am. I mean, even if you are the Kardashians, right, you still have to generate content for people to some degree to keep them engaged. And so, yes, you are getting a great return on your time, a great return on your time. And I think it's all of our goals to find ways to maximize that return on your time and really make it. So, you know, I mean, for my affiliate marketing fees and things like that, yes. Am I making money while I sleep? Absolutely. Do I, in some ways in my head, consider it, it feels like free money compared to the money that I put in at the, you know, at the office reading MRIs? Absolutely. But I'm very cognizant of the fact that there is, there's always an effort there. And I think if you start to take that too passively and you start to take it for granted that those things are going to stay forever, that's when you you put yourself in danger of losing those passive income streams. So I do think you have to always stay on top of them. Jay Helms, I'd like to play with this conversation around passive. Both Jim and Nisha have said, well, when I think about passive, this is what I mean. And I think that's where we get, there's a spectrum of passive. It is not a one or a zero. How do you characterize and define passive in the context of real estate? Well, if, if I look at my W-2 job, right, extremely active, right? There's 40 to 50 hours a week where I have to, where I'm dedicated to that, where my real estate investing is like one hour a week. So I, I label that as, le, you know, more passive than my W-2 job. But I think it's fair when we're talking about real estate investing, there are many different ways that you can invest in real estate. The most passive way to invest in real estate is through a syndication, right? So we've got a 42 unit apartment complex that we have 10 partners on that have done absolutely nothing but receive updates from us that, uh, you know, and that is extremely passive for them. But in that situation, I am the asset manager who I'm managing the project managers, right? And helping with the general contractors on the rehab we're doing. So I think there, there are different levels. I don't think it's a zero and a one. I think it depends on the individual situation, right? And, and I think if Jim and I are honest with ourselves, we are more or less real estate entrepreneurs and not necessarily real estate investors. Real estate investing is a subcategory of real estate entrepreneur. So Jay, if you were not working a W-2 job, would you think of blogging as passive income or active income if it was the only thing you were doing to make money? I don't ever want to quit my W-2 job, I realized. So to me, the goal with side hustles is not to have it replace my full-time job. For example, one of my side hustles is I sell temporary tattoos on Etsy. I don't want to be the temporary tattoo queen of the world where I have the biggest (laughs) empire ever of bride tribe tattoos. That's not my goal. So when I set up everything, it's so I don't have to manage it. So if I ever were to quit my job, I want the money to just flow in and me not to have to do anything. Because of that, I switched from selling temporary tattoos to digital downloads, and that's even better. Where if someone wants a scavenger hunt for their bachelorette party, they click a button and downloads. I have nothing to do with the transaction. I was just going to address the fact that, you know, I, I do a lot of real estate investing in the way that, you know, you guys were talking about how maybe you are more in the real estate space, but I do a lot of real estate investing in the goals of that being passive income. And so I do see that again as a more passive Um, revenue source. And I I engage in a lot of syndication and we definitely put a lot of money into syndications and that's great. But I still, I guess, and, and I do think that once we've decided on a project, it is very passive, right? Because then everything is taken out of our hands. We just get our monthly paychecks or our monthly interest payments. And then at the end, we hope for a big, a big bonus at the end when we, when the property sold and that's great. But 
even in that case, I think in terms of figuring out who I'm going to partner with, who, you know, assessing a deal, really looking at it. And I know some people just kind of go with who they know and trust that that's the best deal. And in that case, it could be pretty passive. But I think if you're really going to approach it as a smart thing in in a smart way and really look at how to maximize your opportunity cost of that money, you're still going to do a fair amount of research into seeing, okay, who am I syndicating with? What are the returns? Where are they giving me these returns from? Is this a reasonable expectation in terms of what they're telling me that I'm going to get at the end of the day. And I think figuring all those things out is a very active process. So again, once you've deployed the money, it's very, it's very passive. But I think if you're going to be smart about even being a smart real estate investor, you still have to put in a good amount of effort on the front end to make sure that, you know, you're not being taken for a ride because there's a lot of people looking to raise money and you have to do it in a way that's um, that's going to protect yourself. So <laughs> absolutely right. And you better do it right. You better have that ramp up period at the beginning for sure. So Jim, as I'm listening to Nisha, is there really such thing as quote unquote passive income? It sounds to me, even like investing in the stock market is going to take some work up front, right? You're going to have to learn what you're doing or find someone to manage you. And that person who's going to manage you is going to have to meet with you and find out what you want and what you don't want. Is this idea of passive income, is it a real idea? You know, Todd Tresseter at the Financial Manor, I, I remember he actually had a post where he was talking about, he, he said, there's no such thing as passive income. And, and I think I agree with that to a point because it, what he talks about is leveraged income. And it's more where you're doing a lot of front loading to get things going. And then once you get to that point, then you'll start to see, you know, more exorbitant amounts than you would uh, from like a W-2 job or something like that. But it usually involves a lot of work up front. And I don't know that there's, I don't know that there's really such a thing as pure passive income. I think there's, there's different levels like Paul was talking about, uh, where you can kind of find something that's going to involve just a little bit of work up front and maybe the rewards will be greater down the line, or you'll find things where it does take a lot of work up front. I mean, you know, you look at something like an online course, that takes a lot of work to develop, but you can uh, make a lot of money off of those as well. Jay, as I'm listening to this, you know, you seem to like your job. Why not just work harder, work longer, uh, go for that extra promotion? Why dabble? Why get into something else? I think, you know, long term, there's a wealth building aspect that I want to, you know, one of my main goals is to pass on generational wealth, right? Not just to my kids, but hopefully to their grandkids. And, you know, there's not much that I can do when I'm working for somebody else that's going to help with that. Now, one of the benefits of having a really good W-2 job is you do have that capital to invest, right? And you have that proof of funds that uh, the bank's going to want to see your W-2 statements and your, your tax returns and all that comes from, from your W-2. So I think it's a vehicle to get you or at least to get me to where I want to go, right? And that's to provide generational wealth for my family. And I can't do that by just working a W-2 job. And millennial boss, Jay, same thing with you. You know, why not just work harder at your job? Why not go for that extra promotion, work a little extra? I'm very influenced by Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. So I don't actually believe that your effort and hours is correlated with your performance. And from all of us who've been in the corporate world, we know that sometimes political things or visibility or which projects you choose to take on are what actually make you a high performer. So in my opinion, it's, it's not that anyone should put more effort into their day job to expect a better result. It leaves me a lot of time at night to, to dabble. And I just find it personally rewarding and fun. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. 
No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... There's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. So I'm so glad that the four-hour work week came up because I think it's a very, much like uh, the Rich Dad Poor Dad is to investors or real estate investors of the four hour work week has become kind of this seminal work that has inspired a lot of people to start side hustles in this way. And as much as I love the message, the title, which he has clearly defined that is not actually what he was espousing. It was just a, you know, an advertising ploy, which is very effective, but people still get confused that, Oh, well you, you spend more than four hours a week doing this. And what is forgotten, I think, is the upfront work it takes to get to that place of only having four hours a week or whatever number it is. Has that book been an influence to anybody else on the panel? Well, yeah, you know, I I can't, I think when I first read this book, it was on tape because it was that so long ago. So, um, (laughs) but yeah, it it definitely one of those things. And I try to pick up a little nugget here and there from each book that I read or consume. And one thing that open my eyes here is not to get to a four hour work week, but it was more or less figuring out how to trade time for money. Right. Or not figure I said that I butchered that. I think you know what I'm saying, but, um, but, and that has what led me to, okay, look for more passive ways. Again, I don't think passive income is a zero or one. I think there's a ramp up time and then it goes back down. Right. If you're doing it correctly. So Nisha, what Jay said is that sometimes the hours you put in work isn't necessarily correlated with the performance. I'm wondering if we sometimes separate active versus passive in that sense that when we're at our W-2 job, that might be true. But mostly with our side hustles, the more work you put in, usually the better you perform. Is, Is that a fair statement? I think that that's definitely a fair statement for those people who don't necessarily have places to climb in their primary jobs. So, you know, if you have a bonus structure in your primary job that really allows you and incentivizes you to do more so that you get more, I think that you could approach your side hustles and your job from the same perspective. I think what happens to a lot of people is that there isn't so much opportunity for growth at their primary jobs necessarily, and they feel like they've reached a plateau. Or if you're, you know, in the case of people that I work with a lot, if you're an employed physician, maybe you're going to make an extra 
you know, small amount of money based on your bonus, but it's not going to be this huge amount of money. So you kind of know what your salary is. You kind of plan your life accordingly and you go with that. And I think with the, the attraction to the side hustle for physicians, at least is really, well, now there's the sky's the limit, right? You can make as much as you, as you put into, whereas there's not very many physicians who are going to be making five, $6 million a year from their primary job as a physician. They're going to make great money, but they're not going to make some of these bigger amounts that they hear about their colleagues in business or law or other professions making um, because there just isn't that, that potential for growth. And so I think that that idea is exciting in terms of I can build something, I can build it on my own terms the way that I want to, and I can see what I do with it. And it can, it can turn into something really, really big. And I think that's, that's definitely the driving force behind, because if you look at what most physicians make in their side hustles, it's actually probably in a lot of cases, not comparable to what they're making in their day job. But it is that potential and it's that excitement with the novelty that causes a lot of physicians to pursue those things because it gives them a different outlet. It's fun for them and it's done on their own terms. And I think in a profession where the pathway is very outlined for you and, and delineated for you, there's a lot of excitement in this idea that, that you can make money and you can make money doing something that isn't what you've been doing for the last 20 years. And I think that's the excitement there. And that's really what drives people to do it. I think it's it's also important to note that just because they're not always equal, the more work that you put in doesn't necessarily also going to mean that you're going to realize the gains as well. And I can use myself as an example. I've dabbled in probably every side hustle there is. And formerly, I wrote a couple of books way back in the day. I don't want to date myself, but this was before uh, Create Space was a big thing. And when I wrote that first book, I put a lot of effort into the, into that book. That was a good 300-page technical book, and it, it did all right. I mean, it, it beat the goal that I had in mind, but at the same time, it wasn't a number one bestseller where uh, where things took off, and I learned a lot. I had to learn. I became my own publisher. I I had to learn all the ins and outs of being able to do that, but at the same time, it didn't make me a, a millionaire in, in and of itself. So I, I guess it kind of depends what you end up doing, whether or not it's going to pan out or not. Just to build on that, I love what you're saying. And it reminds me of the concept of failing early and failing often. And that's another thing I picked up from Tim Ferriss's book. He set up all of these experiments so he would know very quickly whether or not his idea worked and he tested his idea. And that's something that side hustlers need to do. And I think a lot of us get caught up because we, we love it and we have the passion for it and we'll invest way too much time in something that doesn't actually pan out financially. So using that principle can save people a lot of time and make it slightly more passive, quote unquote. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up too, because I wanted to ask a follow-up question about that to you specifically. How do you measure, how do you do those experiments? I think you have a lot of different side hustles going and I can't tell for sure if it's really just to get the greatest big hit or if it's just because it's fun and you want to dabble. Which is it for you? Fun is why I do it, but I'm always driven by monetization. If I'm not making money with it, especially because I'm operating it sort of like some of the major companies today where I'm using money from the profitable side hustles to pay for the ones that are not profitable that I personally love. For example, Fire Drill, we haven't monetized that at all. The right. podcast is a money sink, but my site, Millennial Boss, my tattoo shop, that actually funds things. So for me, it's a combination of both. So you're just like a little mini Amazon out there and you're taking all these, um, the, and I say that kind of in jest, but there's a lot of value into that point for those who are listening, uh, just like Amazon, but on a smaller scale, I'm sure you are taking the income from one aspect and funding something else that has a long-term potential going out in the future. Exactly. And it also funds meetups and things that I do throughout the year that are almost vacations to hang out with some people like the ones that you see here. Jay Helms, do we overemphasize then the actual monetization point and maybe some of these quote unquote passive uh, experiences we're having are teaching us or are funding other businesses uh, and that we're just not giving them credit for it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you, I don't know if we overemphasize it. I mean, we live in a society where you have to have money to survive or to do anything, right? So, you know, I, I'm, I've always kind of chased it. And it always tried to get to where I wanted to go. And I don't think, you know, I heard a quote the other day about if you ever reach your goal, then you're done, basically. 
And, you know, my goals keep changing and keep pushing and put, pushing and pushing. So I don't know if it's an overemphasis. Again, I think it's an individual basis. You know, I think what Jim is doing is awesome. No, no pun intended. <laughs> but, you know, to, to be able to just pick everything up and move to Panama, you know, with your family is it, some people are going to look at him and say, man, that is nuts. How in the world can you do that? And why are you doing that? But that's his dream, right? And he couldn't do that without having some sort of money. Nisha, I want to transition a little bit. I think I've read in one of your blog posts that you're getting to the point where these kind of side hustles are starting to produce on par with what you would as a physician. And that kind of raises a question. So what happens when your side gig becomes your main moneymaker? Or better yet, what happens when your side gig starts taking up the majority of your time? Do we still call it a side gig or quote unquote passive income when it becomes your main hustle? So, I mean, the timing on that is ridiculous for me, actually, because it's something that's very much on my mind right now. So I very consistently now make a significant amount more from my, my quote unquote side gig than, than my job as a physician. And, and that puts me in a very interesting position because I love what I do as a physician, but to some degree... If you look at it from a monetary standpoint, my side job, my job as a physician has become my side hustle. And that is, it, it becomes, it puts you in a lot of, I don't know, it, I think it leads to a lot of self-searching in terms of what your priority, priorities are, what you're trying to achieve. Um, and again, what are you doing with your time, right? Because if you're spending, because I now spend as much time also on my side stuff as I do on my job as a physician. And that means that I'm putting in 80 hours a week or more on my side hustle, or I mean, I, towards working. And honestly, I didn't work that hard as a resident. And so at a time in my life where I'm making more money than I ever made before, I'm also working harder than I ever have before. And at some point you start thinking, you know, what do I do? And I've been trying to go down to part-time professionally for a long time, even before I had a side hustle, because Really, the irony in all of this is that I started my writing because I wanted to talk about work-life balance in medicine. And I always joke around with my husband that I had great work-life balance until I started talking about work-life balance. And all of a sudden, it just all went to, um, it, it, it all of a sudden disappeared. And so I think that that is a very hard dilemma to be in because it really does make you start thinking, okay, well, what is what are the things that really matter in my life? And what are the things that at the end of the day I'm going to be happy with? And what are the things that I feel like I'm going to have missed out on? And then you start looking at your two income producing opportunities and, and they're both generating good amounts of money and you have to make a decision because otherwise you give up the things that you were actually trying to create this income for. And I think as somebody who's married to another physician and as somebody who has two young children, you know, the things that I don't want to miss out on are things that don't generate revenue. And so I need to find time for those things. And that means that I have to give some things up. And some of those things can be alleviated by things like we had talked about previously in terms of outsourcing and really allotting things. But at the end of the day, there's a big priority discussion that has to occur and say, well, when does it just not make sense to work full time as a physician anymore? And I think for me, I've kind of gotten to that point. Now, I don't know how I'm going to make that transition because currently in medicine, there are very few options to work part-time. Um, and that's part of my platform for things that I speak about. But at some point, I'm going to have to make a choice as to, do I just switch to a per diem doctor? Do I switch to a locums doctor? And when do I start saying, well, okay, I've gone through my growth phase. I've put in the time that I needed and now I need to start reaping the benefits instead of just focusing on growth, growth, growth. And I think I'm there right now. And it, it really is a very interesting dilemma, especially if both things that you do, you love, right? If you love your W-2 job and you love your side hustles, well, what do you give up if you have to pick one or the other? Yeah, I'd like to actually direct that exact question uh, to Jay. I mean, millennial boss, you've been showing us some income reports. What if you one day 10x that? And all of a sudden you realize that putting more time into the blog and the podcast and your various stores starts producing a heck of a lot more than your nine to five. Uh, do you leave? I've thought about that a lot. And at first, and this goes back to why I'm Jay and not my actual name, 
At first, it was because I was worried about my employer finding out about my side hustles. But now it's that I want my name in the press or something to be associated with a tech startup that I launched or something else. I don't want it. I don't want to be Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey. And I think the personal finance blogging path, if you really want to 10X yourself, that's what your name is going to be. So it's really more an identity thing of who I actually want to be. And I made a decision that I love working in tech. I find it very interesting. I would rather talk to people and email about that all day than about blogging as much as I find joy out of blogging too. Jim, we talk about who you want to be and all of us are talking about trying to figure what that identity is between our main hustle and our side hustle. You've now retired. What role does passive income play in your life now? Uh, A lot. (laughs) Uh, Well, the passive income is obviously important because that's going to fund our expenses, but I'd separate that from the side hustles, which is something that I definitely want to continue with. There was a tweet that I read recently, and I can't remember who put that out about, it doesn't matter if you don't have as much money as somebody else, we still all only have 24 hours in every day. And that's that's the thing. I didn't have that kind of time. I don't know how niches work in 80 hours uh, a week and, and still continuing to do all this other stuff. That's that's it's impressive. It's not sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> but so so for for me, that was part of the excitement was let's get this job out of the way so I can now focus on things like my blog. I mean, I, I think I, I have excellent cl- content on the blog, but the blog itself kind of sucks. I got to I gotta redesign that. I, my mailing list needs some work. I know that, but I just haven't had the time for it. So for me, that's what's most exciting is that now I can work on that. I can write some books. I can I can continue doing other things. I might might invest in more real estate. I mean, we'll we'll kind of see. But now I got options to try different things. So that's why it's important to me. And you can all do that from Panama because you can, right? That's that's the whole point. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So the question I'll have there to I like for probably each of y'all to comment on this is once you start developing enough of these passive income streams, however you define passive, well, let's not get into the pedantics of that, but you have streams of income, come, in fact, multiple streams of income coming in and it largely exceeds your living expenses. You don't need to work anymore in order to continue to climb the mountain. When is enough enough and what do you do when you have enough? Jay Helms? For me, it's, it's, it's when, um, you know, I think Nisha said something about this earlier about when you're, when you're able to finally say, okay, what is your priority, right, in life? And we all go through these different phases and different stages in life. And right now, you know, we've got two kids, we've got a third on the way. And my focus is spending as much time as I can with my family. So enough, enough, enough is going to be enough when we're able to do that sustainably, right? And, and keep going and, and living the life that we have. But it's, you know, it's one of those things where you have to, to set your priorities. You've got to figure out what, what's a priority for you personally and what you can proceed with. Right. And, and go that route. You know, I don't think I'll work forever. I don't think I'll invest in real estate forever, but I do have those two paths right now because I see, I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't think I'm, I'm not as near close as Nisha is, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel and I'm pretty sure it's not a train. Right. So, um, I'm, I, we're getting close and I've been having these conversations with myself saying, you know, all right, let's start thinking about this. And I think a big part of if I'm ever to ever to pull that parachute out and, and or ejection handle and get out of the W2 world, I think it's going to be a more of a mindset mentality for me to be able to handle, okay, now that you're not doing that, what are you going to do with all this free time? You say you want to spend it with your kids, but let's just face it in three to five years, they're all going to be at school. Right. And they're all going to be doing these things. And, and so it's more or less, it, you know, the other thing, too, and, and to um, piggyback on something um, Jay said earlier was, you know, I blog and I have the mastermind and all this stuff we're doing. It is self-serving for me. But when I teach people, I tend to learn more. Right. And, and, and so it, in a way, it's self-serving. But I'm also like yesterday, I got a message from one of our um, mastermind members, just a thank you. And I've been getting one of those a week from those members about, hey, the content you're producing, the group you put together, 
And that is so rewarding, you know, because I can't tell you the last time I heard that in my W2 job, <laughs> but you know, so there's, there's, there's different things. And as we go through these different stages of life, I think it just depends. Right. And that's where I'm at right now. Love it. Nisha, the same question to you. It sounds like you are struggling with this very thing right now is when is enough enough? Well, I, you know, and I think the difficulty in that question is that at some point, it's not a financial question anymore. And for me, I've reached that point where it's not a financial question anymore. You know, I, I don't need more money. I really, I've never been a fancy person to begin with. So my financial independence number was never very high to begin with. And, um, you know, and, and I've been fortunate enough to be in a position where, where I'm really happy with, if I never earned another penny in my life, that would be okay. The, the bigger question becomes when is enough enough in terms of your personal goals and what you want to achieve, you know? And I think on that level, there's so much that I want to see happen in the space of physician empowerment. And there's also so much that I want to see if I'm capable of doing. And I think that that part is really, you know, as somebody who I think, and I talk about this a lot when I, in my speaking and just being a physician or a woman physician in a field that is very male dominated, there's always a certain feeling of, I want to prove to myself and prove to the world that I can do X, Y, and Z. And then there's also this feeling that, you know, I've always to some degree followed my husband professionally. He's a plastic surgeon and he has always um, sort of dictated our moves in life because of the fact that it's just a much smaller field than mine is. And so, you know, his residency, his fellowship has always determined how I move. And so, now there is this time where he's very settled in his career and is very happy. And he's like, this is your shot. You take it, you do what you want to do and, and make decisions based on what, you know, what drives you and what you want to see you can build. And there's that part of me that just really wants to go with that. And that's the bigger question in terms of what's enough, you know, is it enough when you write your first book? Is it enough when you land your first huge contract? Is it enough when you land your best speaking gig or, I mean, where, where's the end of that? Um, and I think ultimately for me, the answer to that every time I ask it is at the point where it interferes with my real life in terms of the things that matter the most to me in terms of my family and my kids, well, that, that, those are the points where I start setting boundaries and putting breaks in, into place because I've realized that I have enough of that feeling that I could do something if I wanted to do something that I can say, okay, you know what, it's good and I'm going to focus on my family. But Otherwise, there's no limit to these things. So Jay, is passive income really passive? Kind of bringing this conversation back to the uh, original point of the, our pursuit of passive income. Are, are, we, are we kidding ourselves or is this something that we're just going to continue to work and just get smarter about how we earn money? I was trying to argue earlier that most people are not outsourcing as much as they should and they can fail faster and take these strategies to reduce their their effort that they're putting in. But I think what the conclusion that we all came to, and I would have to agree with, is that there are no secrets in the world of passive income, just like there are no secrets to weight loss or anything that you want out of life. You have to put that work in at the beginning. And then once you get to a certain place, then you can start working on making it more passive. So Jay Helms, I want to ask you the same question. I sense that it won't be long until you will not have a W-2 anymore because you have this building momentum and you're creating these multiple streams of income. For those listening to us, what advice would you give to them on their path to passive income and that transition away from having to work into working on their passion projects? You know, a lot of conversation I have around this is about mindset and getting your mindset correctly, that you can do this. And there's so many people fearful when we're talking about real estate investing, but specifically but the, the answer, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, and there's so many different ways you can get involved in real estate investing. But the answer to that is pick a choice and go. Stop sitting on the sidelines and just go do something, right? And like Jay said earlier, you're going to fail, but fail early, fail often, because you're going to get there eventually. And I'd love to answer the second part of that question. I don't think I'm there yet. And, and you know, I don't want to give somebody an advice on my thoughts. I think maybe that's a fair follow-up question for once I do pull the ripcord and, and exit out. But, you know, cause those, those conversations are very, at least in my mind, they're very light right now. It may be something later this year, early next year that we can talk about, but yeah, it's, it's, it's still in my mind a little bit far off. Right. Sure. So well, perfect segue then to Jim who has pulled the ripcord. There you go. 
Yay. What is that process like? And walk the listeners through someone who might be close to that, that threshold and they're thinking about that transition. What is your advice there? Your, what are your thoughts? So I guess for me, the, the biggest thing was I did not want to have a W-2 job anymore. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who do like to continue. They enjoy what they're doing. Uh, I did IT for 20 years. I was, I was done. I was ready to, to jump out. So for me, it was really a matter more of reaching my number than anything else. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot of weighing a decision of, hey, I still like this. Do I want to cut back to part-time? Do I want to do this in some other avenue? For me, it was, it's time to get out. And I wanted to make sure that I had something else to be able to do when I was, when I was retired. And I hate that word retired, but when I was, when I was done with the W2 job, and that's, that's initially why I started the blog a few years ago. I knew it would take a long time to grow, but I have a whole list of things that I want to accomplish. <laughs> so for me, actually pulling the trigger was not, not that big of a deal. Uh, as scary as that, that might sound, I was just ready to do it and just made it happen. When you had the financial margin, it makes that decision a lot easier, isn't it? Yeah, and 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 I, I make sure people people know we're we're not rich. We're we're very conservative. We're not we're not frugal fire. We're we're just you know we have enough to get by on our what we you know on our regular expenses. We've we've saved enough and and we're good to go. I think some of the passive income and these side hustles that uh, that we do plan on doing are going to generate additional income. And that's a good thing. I'm not counting on it, but that's, I, I'm fine with that. And then the whole Panama thing that we're doing, that initially was going to be a reason to be able to leave my job sooner. The whole plan was geo-arbitrage and go down there, you know, and now suddenly we don't need that much money saved up in order to pull the trigger. But the more we thought about it, we didn't want to get trapped where we'd be down there and let's say we don't like it. After a few months, we're like, this is just not for us and we need to come back. I didn't want to be forced to have to go back and get a job, another W-2 job when I came back. So uh, we ended up putting it off a few years. Now the, now the whole Panama thing is, hey, now it'll just stretch the dollar a little further while we're, while we're down there. So Nisha, I want to turn it back over to you and I want to complete this conversation and give you a chance to promote what, where you are, what, what you're working on and what is up next for you. So I can't really answer the question as to what is up next for me because I don't know that I know that and I'm very actively figuring that out. But I think what I do know is that I really like this idea of being able to enable physicians to be more business and financially savvy and really be able to encourage other people to be able to have some creativity and some room for, for movement in, in their lives because that's what I think that my side hustles have really given me the ability to do and I think that that's powerful when you look at things like physician burnout. And so I think for me, getting involved on a bigger level in terms of addressing some of the issues that I see physicians facing, um, this, my side hustle is a good way to be able to support that bigger mission. And I think just really trying to find things that really serve the bigger mission um, and that are in line with the things that I'm trying to make happen and, um, and just pursue things based on that. So I think right now that's the driving factor is, you know, you find things that you're passionate about and then you just pursue them. And I'm a big believer that anything that you're passionate about, you can turn into an income stream um, if you just think about it in the right way. So we'll see where, where it all goes. I'm not too focused on the end game. I'm kind of just focused on, on doing the things that bring me joy at the moment. Enjoying the process. Well, thank you for sharing your passion. Where can we find you specifically if anybody's more interested? Um, www.nishamethamd, that's N-I-S-H-A-M-E-H-T-A-M-D.com. Or if you're interested in the Physician Side Gigs group, it's just physiciansidegigs.com. And that'll link you to the Facebook group. Perfect. We'll make sure and put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on. Jay Helms, how about you? Where can we find you and what is up next for you? So uh, two places I'll give you, uh, w2capitalist.com and also helmsrei.com. That's where I do my blog. Um, you know, so I'm kind of the same lines with Nisha. What's up next is really what's in front of the, the windshield right now. Um, I'm looking at, you know, just this year, you know, really focus on growing the mastermind group. Um, we're, we're sitting kind of taking a backseat on acquisitions right now from a real estate side. 
um, the markets that we're in are uh, way overpriced. Now we focus on cash flow, so there's still opportunities out there, but it's uh, they're very slim. Uh, and we're so we're kind of waiting. We're kind of sitting back, waiting for a correction, a little bit of a correction, so we can get those properties um, at, uh, at that meet our criteria. And we think that'll happen probably later this year, early next year. So right now, the the core focus is growing the mastermind group and continuing to give back um, and, and educate people through our Facebook group, which is real estate investing for the W two employee. A sign of a good investor looking for a downturn. Rooting yep. for a downturn. <laughs> I wouldn't say rooting, but you know, I think there's. Let's think be honest. Let's be honest. We're rooting for a downturn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want anybody to get hurt, you know, financially or you know, it, it's just there's there's opportunities out there that I think, you know, in, in our local market, there's properties that are selling for two and three times what they were. Uh, this time last year. And it's just ridiculous. You know, I mean, uh, for example, the house that we live in now, uh, we bought it for 280. We put 80 into it and it appraised for 450. I'm just like, that's not accurate. Like, thank you, bank. I, I enjoy our relationship now, but that's not accurate. So, you know, there's, there's just some things that I don't, when I don't understand the, the market, I kind of step back and say, okay, wait a minute, let's wait for it to come back in within our target zone and then we'll do some more. But right now it's focusing on the mastermind and helping other, other investors who are, are still having success in the markets that they invest in. Wonderful. Love to hear it. Jay, how about you? Where can we find you and what is up next? You are a side hustler and you want to check out my income reports on millennialboss.com slash binge. You can find two years worth of income reports. When I started in January of 2017 with $673 in revenue to this last December, I was up to nearly $7,000. So I have my experiments and progression all chronicled there. And then if you are looking for different side hustle ideas, Fire Drill Podcast, the podcast that I co-host with my good friend Gwen, we have such a blast with it. And we've brought on some pretty crazy side hustlers to a woman that makes hobbit houses to rent out on Airbnb to Etsy owners, to some people that have been on the show. So check it out. Fire drill podcast on iTunes, Android, everywhere where podcasts are played. Fantastic. Jim, you're going to finish us out. Last words. Where can we find you and what is up next? Well, I think we know what's up next for me. Uh, so yeah, I left my job at the end of the year. So we're planning to move to Panama this summer. Right now I have an eight-year-old daughter. So the game plan is spend as much time with her as I can before she becomes a teenager and starts to hate me. Um, and then after that, then we'll, we'll see where things go. But in the meantime, uh, I do write about our financial strategies as well as our plans to move to Panama, uh, leveraging geo-arbitrage, stretching our dollar a lot further. And you can find me at routetoretire.com. So, Paul, this was really fun for a few reasons. One, in case you notice, there were a few references to Jim is awesome. And the reason why is that was the tagline on his video. So, if you heard us talking about that in the episode, it was because we were staring at a screen and his name was written as Jim is awesome instead of just Jim. But besides that, you know, it was really funny to hear people talk about passive income and then talk about how busy their lives were. So we do a W-2 job and the idea is that we develop hobbies, businesses, side hustles because they're going to help us create more income. But there's this idea that they're going to be quote unquote passive. They're going to take less time and yet still generate income on the side of our W-2. But what ends up happening is we not only have our W-2, but then we end up putting significant amount of time into our side hustles. And I think Nisha said it very clearly between her speaking, between her doing the Physician Side Gigs Facebook page, she has two full-time jobs. And I would argue that probably Jay would say the same thing too, between Millennial Boss and Fire Drill Podcasts and all her printables and her Etsy store. I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. I just think sometimes that the words we use aren't reality. And so when we talk about passive income, I think it rarely is passive. I think Jay Helms made the point that real estate in some ways can be passive, but you still have to take into effect the idea that you have to front load some of the sacrifice, learn about real estate, really do your due diligence before you buy properties or get into real estate investments. So that was kind of the fun of the conversation for me. What did you think, Paul? 
Yeah, I like the conversation around what people envision when they hear the word passive. Some people take a really strong stance on it's the strict definition that it's passive. And though if you do anything at all, then it's a false idea of what it is. And if you get a really strict definition of it, it's really hard to find true 100% passive income. I mean, like buying debt is about the only way that I know to do that or buying an index fund and you just live out the dividends. Those are the most passive ideas that I know to create passive income. And that's exactly what people are doing when they're buying into a REIT or they're buying into syndication or they're buying bonds. They're just buying debt and they're just getting interest from it. So I like to switch the wording a little bit and stop using the word passive. I like using the word retirement. It has such connotation to it. I have been struggling with this myself because I am a real estate investor. I consider a lot of that passive because I spend way less time now to get that income than I used to to do my day job where I was exchanging time for money. So I like to think of it in the context of linear life versus an exponential life. And when it's linear, doctor even is exchanging time for money, a radiologist. However, if you start a radiologist business where you hire other radiologists, then you're living exponentially where you own a business and you are leveraging other people's talents and time for your benefit. And it's really the the use of leverage and not necessarily borrowing, but it's leveraging other people. And that's what creates air quote passive or residual income because you're not directly exchanging time for money. You're letting the compounding take effect. I like that dichotomy. And I guess I go back to this idea of quote unquote passive. Who are the kind of people who go after these passive income streams? We're not passive people. We're very active people. So the idea that we're going to start this thing on the side and it's going to be passive is quite unlikely because we're not the kind of people that sit back and wait for the money to come in. We build and create revenue streams. And so I like this idea that you brought out of linear versus exponential. And maybe that's what this whole point of a side hustle or side gig is. When you're stuck in your W-2 job, it's really hard to become exponential. And all of us in this community are people who want to take it to that next level. And I think we want to learn how to be exponential. And that might be the biggest difference between active and passive income. It has nothing to do with how much work you put into it. What we currently call active income streams tend to be income streams like our W-2 job where we just only have so much control of what we do with it. Whereas what we used to call passive income streams now call side hustles or side gigs, I think have much more potential to become exponential. And I think that's what our community in the end is really into. I don't think we're into retire early in a sense. I think we're a little bit more into this exponential lifestyle. And maybe that's what's up next. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Jim from Route to Retire, Jay Helms, the W2 Capitalist, Jay from Millennial Boss and Fire Drill Podcast, and Nisha Mehta from Nisha Mehta MD, as well as the Physician Side Gig Facebook page. Doc G and I are going live this Friday at 12 p.m. noon central to discuss this episode. To get on the live stream, join our Facebook group, the What's Up Next podcast, and look for notifications on when we go live. You have to be a member of the Facebook group to be a part of the live stream. We'll discuss this episode, give you some insight on what episodes we're currently working on, and a little sneak peek on the upcoming episode for next week. We look forward to reading your comments, engaging with you further, and seeing you live this Friday at noon on the What's Up Next Podcast Facebook group. That's a wrap. So, Jim, how, how's your Spanish? Thank you. Spanish is good. Bueno. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Paul, it was like we, we just did a panel with Big Earn and Todd Trasseter on it. And it's kind of like when someone's speaking Spanish to you too fast, you just shake your head and smile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were talking numbers like, uh. <laughs> yeah. For now, I've got to get back to work. <laughs> See you guys. See ya. Suckers who have day Yeah, day I know. Day. I know. It's a long launch for me. So <laughs> I'll see, see y'all. Yeah, that's no, no, that's, that's later. That's, just, oh, I'm sorry. We just want, this is Jim, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. We're so I'm already getting heckled? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I already screwed it up? Yeah, pretty much. Jay Money. Or Jay, not Jay Money. Jay. That, Jay Money somebody else. He's not here. <laughs> Too many Jays. Too many Jays. I'm confused.
First of all, did you say bonantics? <laughs> Pedantic. <laughs> okay. I combined bananas. I was thinking about Panama. I combined uh, well, pedantic and bananas. So I, I have a very limited vocabulary. So I always try to pick up a new word per day. And I thought it was going to be bonantics. And it might be anyway. I love that. The Panama thing. Is that going to be the name of your next book? The Panama thing? Ooh, I like that. That's catchy. <laughs> I'm going to go get, get, get that domain right now and sell it to you. Uh, that's going to be my passive income. <laughs> what, what was that word you used earlier? Banana. What, what was that? <laughs> um, bedantic? Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a better title. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, this is why we have podcasts. Is to have these? Uh, we just did a mastermind on, on the next book for Jim. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 